Gonna see Harry. This is a special episode in honor of Vimboat, Bridget Say. My name is Oshin, and I write the music for many of these podcasts. Every time I hear a story, I hear the music in my head. But for the first time ever with this story, I didn't hear music. There was something powerful in this story that needed a bit of extra space to evolve and breathe. Musically foreshadowing or even adding motifs distracted from the precision of the story. I think you should bring this story outside with you and listen to it in a nice place with the sounds of nature and hear the voice and wind or sit around a fire and play it into the night. So find a place, settle in and circa, tell us a story. Once there was a goddess and her name was Breed. And she was a goddess long ago in this country, but she was all but forgotten, all but her name. It is perhaps the nature of a goddess to be forgotten, because so much of what a goddess is is fluid and changeable. And each new generation must discover the goddess for themselves, the goddesses of many names. Because a goddess is not understood through doctrine, she is understood through the self, through deep reflection, through deep connection, through listening to the slow, steady heartbeat behind our heartbeats that pulses through life itself in the cycle of the seasons and the wheel of the year. And so it was with Breed, Bridget. She was remembered for only a few things. She was remembered for her keening. Her son was killed in a battle, a battle that she herself was fighting on. He'd sided with his father, Bress, and fought against her people, and when he was felled, she could not stay silent. She unleashed a torrent of grief. A wailing and a crying and a lamenting. It became known as Keening. The first ever to be heard in this land. The foundation of a tradition of giving voice to terrible grief. And Breed was known to have a day that was sacred to her. Breed's day, Bridget's day, Imbolg. The first day of February, the first day of spring. And her moment, her time, was that time when the sun rose over the horizon. And it was the first dawn of that time of year that is itself a dawn. That heralds summer. Not yet come, there is still frost and snow in February. In Fiora, the fields are still barren, but life begins to stir. The darkness begins to slowly peel back across the landscape. And it seems, although still distant, that the promise of life is coming back into the land, into the sky. Now, a child was born. 
A child was born in an Ireland that was changing. Is there ever a time when a land is not changing? This was a time of great change and great turmoil. The old ways were dying. And although it seems so to every new generation, this generation had a point. Society had fractured, clan against clan. There was no unity to be had. The old high kings all gone. And into this land, a new message was spreading. And it seemed to some that this message was so contradictory to their way of life. It must be resisted at all costs. And it seemed to others that it was superior, it was new, it was better, it would solve all of their problems. And of course it was just a message. And as any message, no matter how new or exciting, it was preached by people and interpreted by people. And so it did not solve all problems. It created some new problems. But it was appealing. It was appealing to a great many people. It pointed to something that they had been missing. At that time, there was huge division. It was huge inequality. A man could own another man outright. The legal system was based on a unit of fines. The currency for the fine was a kummel, a female slave. And fines were given according to rank. Rank was vitally important. It was not just a matter of knowing who was wronged and who they had been wronged by under this law, but of knowing the station of both parties. Because the law absolutely understood that people were not equal. The people in this island did not see themselves as equals. They saw themselves in a hierarchy, in a relationship, clan to clan, chieftain to king, king to high king. And many of the old ways had been forgotten already. There was no Fianna to protect the land from threats within and without. There was only division and mistrust. And into this place came a new group of people. And their message was that there was something beyond life. There was something on the other side of the veil that was better. That was purer. That was truer. And that everyone lord or slave was equal in the eyes of that other life in the light of that life beyond life that life after death in the eyes of the god now in this time of division and strife of new messages preached and those who listened and those who did not, and new conflicts arising as a result. There was a Lord, 
and one of his kummels, one of his female slaves, was carrying his child, which happened more often than it did not. She was not his wife. She was his chattel. But he decided that he would claim this child, raise that child as his acknowledged heir. And so they waited for the birth with anticipation and delight. And it seemed to him auspicious. It seemed to him a wonderful thing when the child was born, just at dawn, on Imbolg. Breach day, Bridget's day. And so he held that child in his arms, his daughter, and he gave her the name of the goddess to carry with her. The name of Bridget, the name of Breach. And he had every intention of cherishing his daughter, as many parents do. But she grew up strangely willful, in a way that he had never anticipated, never thought might happen with his child. She was not disobedient for the sake of disobedience, but she could not be told what to do. And above everything else, she would do what she liked when it came to her possessions or anyone else's. She was generous to a fault. She would give away everything that was given to her. Milk from the first milking of a cow to a beggar woman. Meat for the dinner to a starving dog. Her own father's fine cloak and hunting knife. Given to a beggar. But it seemed that there was a strange magic in what she did. Because everything she gave away came back. As if redoubled. As if by her generosity she multiplied what she touched. And so when the first milk from the cow was given away, the cow was milked and gave three times as much milk as it had before. When the meat was taken out of the pot and given to the starving dog, there was more meat in the pot than ever before. And as for her father's cloaks, she pointed out to him that he had plenty. The girl was fascinated by this new religion. This new religion that pointed her somewhere else and that taught her that that division between her father, the king, and her mother, the slave, was not a real thing, not a true thing, but a thing that people had invented. And looking at them, she knew in her heart that that was true. And so listening to the old ways, she felt that there was something wrong. And listening to the new ways, she felt that there might be an answer. She used to sneak away to go and listen to the preachers of the new religion, to Patrick and Cullum Kell. She used to soak in their messages and to come home brimming with them, like she was a cup about to overflow. And one day her mother invited one of the priests of the new religion to come and speak with the girl. Come and dissuade her from this new religion, from putting too much into it. It was not, after all, a faith that had a place for women in it. 
and that priest came. And he sat in the house with her mother waiting for Breach to come in. And when the girl came through the door, in a flurry of activity, she hung up her cloak without looking and came over excitedly to talk to the priest. And she observed that his face went pale and he did not have much to say. He seemed to stammer and start. And it was only when he left and she asked her mother what had what had discomfited the man so and her mother pointed out you hung up your cloak on a sunbeam. As she grew for all her willfulness and all her lack of respect for possessions or her own as well as others she grew up beautiful quick-witted vibrant and her father determined to marry her and so he put out the word that he was looking for a groom for his daughter but she let it be known to all of the suitors that she did not wish to marry Her father was able to find a suitor who did not mind her reluctance. A young man who agreed to marry her all the same, swayed by her great beauty, and determined that he would be able to win her over in the end. But when he came to the altar, she stood there before him, and all of her beauty was gone. She had the face of a crone, ancient and haggard, She smiled at him through crooked teeth and she said, you know, I won't hold you to anything. And if you leave now, if you go into the forest, you will meet a woman who is pleasing to your eye and she will think every word you say is the wisest thing she ever heard. And so too will her father. And the suitor agreed to her terms, left her alone, left her at the altar, reneged on his promise, gave back his bride price, and sure enough, in the forest found a woman. She thought everything he said was the cleverest thing she'd ever heard. Now when this happened, her father gave up on her and cast her out to find her own way. Now at first she was glad of this because this meant that she could follow her own passion, her own dreams. She could go to the people of this new religion. She could join their communities. But when she went to join these communities these abbeys. She found that there was no place for her within them. She could join as a lay community member, but she could not be a priest, she could not be a monk. There was no place for someone like her in this new religion. They held their highest value as celibacy, 
and they did not think women capable of it. And so she had nowhere. Nowhere to go. No home to call her own. And so for the first time in her life, she was lost. Thrown out against the sharp teeth of the world. And she was young. She was beautiful. She was not naive. She felt herself powerful. She knew herself to be powerful. And when she walked the roads, she walked them without fear. And when she heard the wolves howling at night, she knew they would have no cause to harm her. On her travels, a woman gave her a basket of apples. Seeing this pretty young girl walking the roads, seeing a difference between her and the regular lot of beggars, Bridget thanked her and took the apples and gave them to all of the other beggars that she saw on the road. The woman came after her and scolded her and said, that was for you not for them. Bridget looked at her and said, that's a strange kind of generosity. And from that day on, that woman's orchard never bore fruit again. Another woman, on another day, gave her another basket of apples that she immediately gave away and that woman followed her down the road with more apples. And Bridget thanked her and shared those with her friends as well. And that woman's orchard, specifically the tree that she had picked the fruit from to give to this young woman on the roads, gave three times as much fruit from that day on, became the most bountiful tree in her orchard. And these stories, these little tales of that strange magic of hers, they they went around, they did their rounds the way that stories do. And Bridget found that on this road, in the company of other people who did not have a clan of their own and did not have a home of their own, who were outcast who were discarded, who were not looked after by the codes that they had in the country at that time. She found in them people. People like her. People who were not content with the way things were, but who had not yet found a place to call their own. And so gradually growing inside her was a knowledge and a certainty of what she needed to do next. And that was to make a place that was not just her own, but that was all of theirs. A community. A place where anyone could come to 
especially those who were welcome nowhere else, especially those who were discarded, especially those who had no family and who the new religion turned its back on. And so she went to the king of the province she was from, the king of Leinster. Not her father. Her father was not a king of a province. He was a local king. She went to him. She had met him before and she asked him. She said, give me a piece of land. I want to build a community. We will follow the new faith. We will be self-contained. We will be peaceful. We will not give you any trouble. Give me a place of my own. And the king... (laughs) The king was taken aback at the audacity of this young woman asking him for a place for a vagrance. And she could see he wasn't going to do it. And so she said, just, what if you just give me as much land as my cloak covers? And to that, he agreed. He would give this beggar woman and her beggar friends as much land as her cloak could cover and see what they could do with that. And so she took off her cloak and she spread it. And her cloak spread. And as she shook it out, she felt something. Like a shiver, like a memory sense that she had been here before, she had done this before. And as she shook out her cloak, she suddenly knew that that cloak could cover the whole island of Ireland, could hold everyone under it. She felt as if she were pulling the reins of a bolting horse to get it, to contain itself to Leinster only. The cloak spread out over all the land. All the hills of that province of prosperity, all the herds, all the farmland, all the people looking up startled to see the sky so suddenly dark, and the king himself stood speechless. The sun blocked out by this woman's cloak. And now he was made the beggar. He begged her not to destroy him, not to take all of his land. And she shook out her cloak, back to its size now, and she put it around her shoulders again to give herself a moment to think, and she said, I only want what I asked for. A place. There's an oak wood, and I would build a church there. You can have the rest back. So the king of Leinster got his kingdom back. But he knew from that day on that he held his kingdom at her pleasure. She could revoke it any time she wanted. And so the church that she built in the Oakwood, the Kill in the Dara, Kildare, it was left unmolested by the king and all the king's retinue and all those loyal to him. 
and she felt as she built that every stone and every plank of wood was being put in a place that had been made for it. And every step she took was a step that was laid out for her on a path that was in front of her, the rightness of it. It felt perfect. It felt like a plan that had been set in motion for her before she was even born. She built her church in the oak wood. She built her community. And people flocked to her. People who were outcast. People who were reviled. This new religion prized certain things above others. For all they claimed, they had no sense of hierarchy. They had strange notions about women. And so most of the people who came to her, who could not find a place in this new order, were women. And it became a community of mostly women. But her doors were open to all. All who came and all who needed her. And some came for healing. And some came for help. And she healed them and she helped them. And she gave them sanctuary. Some who fled abuse were taken in. Two lepers came to her. No one else would take them in, but she did. And she told the first to bathe his brother. And the leper bathed his brother, and the brother then stood up cured. And the cured man turned around to the leper and said, I'm not touching you. You're disgusting. And when Bridget saw what had happened, she put her cloak over the leper who had bathed his brother. And he was healed in an instant. But the man had been cured and refused to share the cure. He was no longer welcome there. He felt it without her having to say, but he was cured. So he left happy. And his happiness did not last. As slowly the disease crept back. One of her followers came to her. One who had fallen in her vows. For they took the vows of the new religion. She'd fallen in lust with a young man. And now she was with child. And she would have to leave. She would have to leave this community that meant so much to her. This place where she had planned to spend her life. In community and in communion. And in reflection and in prayer. And for this one brief taste of earthly pleasure. All her dreams were dashed. Bridget felt her heart breaking for the girl who had nowhere else to go, nowhere good. And so she placed her hands upon her belly. And that pregnancy was no more. 
And so it was. She received all who came to her with compassion, with understanding. She expected that they would do the same. And when they did, all was well, and when they did not, well, the consequences were on their heads, or so she felt. She did not think that she had blighted that woman's tree. She did not think that she had cursed a man with leprosy. She had welcomed in those who needed it. She had given abundance back to those who gave abundance out. That seemed a law to her, a law of nature. And the people gathered to her, and her community expanded and began to thrive. There were some there who were fascinated by this new religion, who wanted to contemplate the mystery of it, the beauty of it, the world beyond this world. And there were those who wanted a quiet reflection of work well done, who found God in the soil that they dug their hands into to grow the food that fed the community. And Bridget taught herself first and then taught others how to brew beer, how to make fine crafts at a smithy. It seemed to her that as she learned these things, it was not a learning, it was like a remembering, a memory that she'd forgotten, stripped of context. But she knew exactly how to swing her arm, exactly how the steel should sound when struck, and she did not know how she knew that. And when she lit a fire, a burning fire, in a grove in the oak wood, she did not know why. But she knew it was right there. That grove in that oak wood was wanting a fire. And she tended it and she set her followers to tend it, one a day, watching the fire, keeping it stoked, making sure that it never went out. It seemed right, and that was all she could say about it, if anyone had questioned her, and of course no one did. She was Bridget, and this was her abbey. But this feeling that she had, this feeling of walking a path that had been walked before, something that was laid out for her, clear as destiny, it began to feel less of a comfort to her as time wore on and more, more disquieting, more strange, more mysterious, more like an itch at the back of her mind. Those memories she could not remember those skills that she'd never learned the strive she had to do the things that she was doing 
She'd always thought that it came from above, that it came from God, that it came from this new faith. But increasingly these days it seemed to her it came from somewhere else. She was not sure where. You couldn't tell if it came from below or from within, and so one winter she decided to leave her community to walk by herself on the roads again for a while, to shed the cloak of the abbess and just be a woman again. Through the winter she wandered. Sometimes she was recognised. Sometimes she was not. But as she walked she listened. She felt that she could hear, deeper than her heartbeat and the rush of her blood, something else, a slower heartbeat, pulse of life, buried deep, deep below the soil. And as all the land held its breath for winter, The cold was fierce. She felt as though a part of her were held still and waiting too. Waiting for light, waiting for spring, waiting for something. And one day, that winter, She saw a man on the road, walking the opposite way that she was walking. And he was carrying on his back a big sack full of salt. She called out to him and she said, Will you give me a pinch of salt to season my porridge? She had been living on what supplies she carried. She had run out of salt some time ago. She'd not tasted it in a good long while. And the man looked at her, and she could see that he had no idea who she was. She was nothing to him. She was nobody. A middle-aged woman, not dressed too terribly well, though warmly against the winter, alone on the roads. And she saw him look at her, and she saw him weigh her before he answered her. And he lied right to her face. He said, no, miss. There's no salt in this sack. It's just rocks. And at that, she felt something rise up inside her. Something pure and fierce. She looked back at him. And she spoke the truth. And she said, rocks, is it? Rocks be they so. And the salt in his pack turned to rocks. And he fell and was crushed beneath the weight.
And she stood on the road and she looked at the body of the man who had lied to her, who had been mean, ungenerous, the greatest sin of the old ways. And she looked at him. She saw what she had done. She sat on the other side of the road. And as that short day came to an end, and the long dark of winter unfurled itself above her head and the stars stretched out above her and the moon gazed down cold and clear, she watched the man, the ice creep over his body, her breath visible in the air but nothing from him. The rocks, the rocks that she'd spoken into being, still weighing him down. The saints of the new God, they did not enact vengeance. Not in the stories she'd heard. They died beautifully and tragically, refusing to deny the new God, showing that what was beyond was more important than what was here. And she realised as she reflected that she had never quite agreed with that. It seemed to her that what was here and what was there were as important as each other, two sides of the same coin, two halves of the same whole, and one was not above the other. And as she looked at the dead man by the side of the road, and as she sat in what felt like the centre of all the stars that were wheeling above her, she listened. She listened to the silence of the winter night. She listened to her own heart beating. And she listened that other pulse deep below the earth the longer slower heartbeat it seemed that she was looking at the universe and the universe was looking at her and they understood one another and then the sun burst over the horizon and the first rays of the first sun of spring hit her forehead on Imbolg her day her birthday the day of the goddess the day of Brigid and she understood she understood that it was indeed her day. It always had been. It always would be. It was not that she was not a woman. She was a woman. It was not that she did not love the new God she did. 
but there was a goddess in her too, and always had been. A goddess who was forgotten almost all but her name. A goddess who breathed again, who walked again, who saw the stars in the sky again. And as Brigid lifted her face to the rising sun of Imbolg, to the awakening of the earth and the spring and the life flowing back into the world she knew. She knew it was all one. The old ways, the new ways. The next world, this world. Her life and her legend. She knew that they would claim her and argue over her, as people always do. And she knew too that she would welcome them all in all their humanness and all their frailty. She would take them all under her cloak. Always. All who asked. <laughs>